We have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. There is a huge pall of smoke coming from that direction. Alrighty, welcome to episode 28 of Fumble Podcast. Uh, today is uh, the, the 20th anniversary of September 11th, um, and I wanted to dedicate this week to uh, talking about that, the memories and also uh, the before and after of 9-11. Um, with a good friend of mine who's actually a high school teacher of history and government um, here in California. And um, without further ado, he's uh, David Gray. Thanks for joining me, man. Oh, glad to be here. Appreciate it. Um, so to start off, I mean, 20 years has passed. I can't even believe that already it's been 20 years. Uh I mean, it still feels like yesterday, some of the uh, effects that were felt. Um, let's start with uh, discussing where were where you were and how you remember when the events unfolded on this day 20 years ago. Yeah, it's one of those days in history that always stands out. Uh, this generation remembers when Pearl Harbor was attacked. They remember when they were 
So every single generation seems to have that one day, that one moment or one event that forces you to remember where you were. People remember yeah. where Pearl Harbor was attacked. People remember where they were when John Kennedy was killed. People remember where they were when 9-11 occurred. And I happen to be overseas uh, teaching. Uh, you know, I taught overseas. I was yeah. in uh, Qatar for six years. Before that, Kuwait for two years. Well, in 2001, that was the first time I was overseas living abroad teaching. And I was in Warsaw, Poland. And I had arrived in August. And then the next month, I arrived August 6th in Poland. The next month, obviously, 9-11 happened. And this was in 2001. Wow. So it was the first time living abroad in a different country. And when this thing happened, we got a call that day um, to meet um, in the commons area of the school I was working in. And you have to understand that we were um, six hours ahead of East Coast time in, in Poland. Yeah, It's nine hours ahead Pacific time, but on the East Coast, it's six hours ahead. So we were told when the planes hit, you know, live, when they hit, we met with the director of the school and he let us know that the country was under attack. Uh, and he told us to go home. And so when I went home, you know, I put CNN on in my apartment and I watched the towers burning and I watched them fall live. But I was overseas when it happened. And it was about, you know, three, I guess, when the when the um, when the towers were hit by the planes, it was about three thirty in the afternoon in, in Warsaw time. Right. And we all went home and we were watching the towers fall live. And, you know, my, my mom and dad were both raised in New York. I was born in New York and I have many yeah. relatives still living there. And, um, and so like I called up my brother um, who was living in Los Angeles at the time. And, um, you know, I asked him what was going on. And he said, well, the country's under attack. And I clearly, clearly remember asking him, well, what are we going to do now? And he said, we have to declare war on some, on somebody. Uh, and my brother, though, doesn't believe in war or violence. He's, you know, he is for gun control. He's against, you know, gun violence. But he told me clearly, though, that the country has to respond and declare war on somebody wow. or something, yeah. which in this, in this case, it was the war on terror. But that's where I was, though. And like I said, it was a weird experience because it was my first time living abroad. And this is what's happening to the country. Yeah. That's... Interesting, interestingly, um, the previous April, I had organized and led a field trip to Washington, D.C. and New York, um, eighth grade field trip. And I was in charge of it. I organized and led it. And so we actually, you know, took the kids to New York. The eighth graders it was during spring break in April of 2001. And uh, there we went to Liberty Island and Ellis Island. When I was on Liberty Island, I had one of the students take a picture of me with both twin towers behind me. Wow. And I said, bringing up in my classroom right now. Uh, and so, you know, little did I realize, though, that five months later, though, they would be gone. But it's a really beautiful picture of the twin towers behind me. And I'm standing on Liberty Island. Man, that is that is uh, I mean, talk about uh, timing, right, with all of that. And it's it it is uh it is probably even a uh more specific 
and and uh, probably a little more scary. And when you initially hear about these attacks um, in a different country in Poland um, of your home state, and of course the neighboring states of uh, the capital, Washington D.C., and and the flight that landed in uh, that that the the passengers actually prevented it from hitting its intended target right within Pennsylvania um what was going through your mind when you hear the initial word from when you're in school when you're what you said it but it's about 3 30 when you got home uh in Warsaw time right 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 so at about what time how soon after the first uh airplane hit the north tower how soon did you get notified of that um after it actually happened well, I guess almost immediately, like I said, because um, Warsaw is six hours ahead of right. East Coast time. Yeah. And um, and, so and we where were, t- were you in, in in relation to Warsaw? Like, were you in at the school or were you ho- coming home? Were you outside well, the school? We, we were all at the school still um, when we were told by the director to meet in the commons area. And he informed us of what had happened. So we got that information. We were notified at the school right so all see. of the all of the expat teachers were called in the commons area and the director of the school um notified us of what was happening wow and and told us that the twin towers had been attacked yeah and and we didn't know by by whom yet we didn't know if it was the country um yeah. and so the director told us you know what happened and told us all to go home uh to try to call loved ones if we had any loved ones in new york um if we knew any family, but, you know, to watch the news. And so, like I said, both of my parents grew up in New York and I was born there. And um, my cousin was still living there. My mom's sister's daughter, my cousin, Laura, was still living in New York at the time. She was practicing law there. And so I was just trying to find out if anything happened to her. I had great aunts and great uncles still living there. My My cousin Frank's mom was still living there. My great aunt Rose yeah. Uh, and so, well, I mean, again, my mom's cousins were all there still. Yeah. Yeah. So your first, your first instinct once hearing of the news is, is my family. Okay. Is every, yeah. And that's reasonable because they live in the state. So. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, I, I, after, you know, I, I actually called my mother first. So I called my mom and dad first and they both live in California. And I asked them, you know, if they had heard anything from, uh, you know, any relatives living in New York, my dad's best friend, my uncle Joe, um, you know, was living in New York. She still lives there at the time. You know, he still lives there now. He was living yeah. there at the time. And so um, I asked if they had heard from any of the relatives and if they were okay. I called, like I said, I called my brother, my older brother, Daniel, after that and asked him, you know, what's going on? Uh, because they were getting information that we you know, probably weren't. I mean, I was watching CNN, but I was just asking them, what have you heard? What's going on? Right, right, right. Well, the reason I ask all that is because, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm comparing your experience in, in getting this initial news of the attacks and you, you got it through word of mouth first. You didn't see it. So, and you got it, it looks like after the second plane hit and that's when they, they told you both towers have been attacked. Your, uh, yeah, uh, at yes. your school. Right, right. Well, yeah, because um, so 20 years ago, I would have been 15 years old, right? So I'm, I'm a freshman in high school, or maybe 
sophomore, I believe, actually. So I was, I may have been a sophomore if I remember correctly. Um, I, uh, I, and I grew up in Maryland, right? So this is where I went to school in, in Montgomery County, Maryland, and um, not too far from the events. Um, and so what happened was I, I walked in to uh, our first period class, and I see that the TV is on. And there's the, the North Tower is in smokes. So the the plane had already the first plane had already made contact. And it was about I want to say 840 roughly you you know the time better than me. There was a yeah, I think it was around 840 850 when I walked into the class and then that first plane had already hit. And I'll be honest, I thought it, were, it was a movie. I didn't even think it like my initial reaction was like, Oh, this is a movie. And then uh, you know, my small mindedness at that time, I'm thinking, uh, oh, okay, we're going to watch a movie today. Not having any clue that my teacher's face is pale white, like in, in, in worries, she's, you know, sickly worried and, and, and scared and trying at the same time to manage a classroom. And then uh, we were just awaiting a word from our principal as to what's next. Um, and so then as we were waiting, the TV was, was still on and we all see the second plane. And as many of have, uh, they see, we see the second plane hit and that's when it all like, like that, it, it all became real, like for me. And, and that's when we realized, oh my God, this is, this is actually an, uh, some sort of attack, um, and they started announcing that on the on the news like we believe we're under attack we don't know who the culprit is we don't know you know who's behind it so everything was still vague and unclear um and then i so shortly thereafter around 9:30 or 10 before 10 a.m. that day tuesday uh it was a tuesday uh september 11th uh 2001 and uh the principal sent us home everybody went home I get home and uh, I'm just, you know, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. And cell phones, by the way, uh, you know, for a lot of the younger, uh, you, you know, you have kids and so they're younger uh, generations. You know, the cell phones were still not even that, you know, we didn't have iPhones. We, we barely, you know, and at that time, I think my family shared one cell phone, right? So it was, um, it was still a newer technology. And, uh, and I say that to make a clear picture as to how communication was tougher, right? To, 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 yeah, yeah. So, um, so when my dad comes home a, a few hours later, um, he tells me that I hadn't even learned yet about the Pentagon, the attack on the Pentagon or Pennsylvania. Um, the uh my father my dad comes home and he, and i said did you see uh are you do you know what's going on he's like yeah i saw the pentagon plane fly over my head he saw the thing in person and the reason why is because he was working as a construction worker across from the pentagon he wasn't so he working thought, he thought the plane that hit the pentagon then. yeah he saw it go over his head and he thought nothing of it until like 15 20 seconds later when he hear, heard a huge explosion and then he noticed the smokes and then i believe his company said that we need to go you, he needs to go home as well for yeah. safety safety measures 
So um, that's how I learned about the Pentagon, you know? So um, how wild. I didn't know your dad saw the plane. Yeah. Yeah. He told me, uh, and I remember all of this vividly, you know, uh, even though it was 20 years ago. Um, So then, then I turned the TV on again. And that's when I learned about the fourth plane in Pennsylvania. Um, So, you know, experience, uh, how old would you have been uh, in 2001? 33 when it happened i was turning 34 um that october but i was 33 yeah yeah 33 so i mean you were roughly around my age now so uh, the experience <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not to not Wait. to age, not to age you but <laughs> i'm just um well you, you had asked before like what was my feeling at the time and yeah you know one of my students who was polish actually interviewed me after the attacks happened um yeah because she was writing for like some local newspaper or something. And, you know, my initial reaction and feeling was fear. And then it quickly turned to anger is what I told her, Mm. Um, you know, that our country had been attacked and all those people had died. Um, And, and so, you know, I I believe strongly that there needed to be though, um, you know, um, a response from our country. Yeah, uh, you know, like what my brother had, had talked about, um, and so you know, we as Americans kind of live in a bubble, and like even my brother had said, this was kind of like the price we pay for democracy. Yeah. We live in a bubble in the sense that all, all the wars that have been fought have been fought on, you know, all the wars that that, that America's fought has have been on, you know, different continents, different countries. The last time a war was fought on our soil was the American Civil War. You yeah. Know? yeah, and like I, I like to tell my students that the last time that the United States was actually invaded by a country was in the War of eighteen twelve by England. Yeah. The last time that you know the country was the mainland United States, the contiguous United States, last time it was attacked attacked by a country was in the War of eighteen twelve, because. Wow. When you talk about Pearl Harbor, it was attacked by the Japanese, but Hawaii was not yet a state. It was a territory of the U.S., and that's not part of the contiguous, you know, 48 states, right? The mainland yeah. 48 states, right? Like Hawaii and Alaska aren't attached to the 48. And like I said, it, you know, I tell my students that Pearl Harbor, when it was attacked by the Japanese, it wasn't an invasion either, though. That was just an attack. The Japanese didn't invade Hawaii. They attacked it, and Hawaii wasn't part of the contiguous U.S. states. Uh and like I t- like to tell my students that the United States is the most well-defended country in the world, well, geographically. For example, if anybody wants to attack us or invade us, they have to cross 3,000 miles of ocean, either the Atlantic Ocean or Pacific Ocean. So like mm. if any country from Europe wants to attack the U.S. or invade the U.S., they have to cross 3,000 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. If any country in Asia wants to attack us or invade us, they have to cross 3,000 miles of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Or they have to co- go through Canada or go through Mexico yeah. to attack us. Right. So it's, it's the most well-defensed or defended country in the world. Um, and I also explained that two countries that border, border each other, Canada and the U.S. Have, have the longest peaceful relations between two countries that border each other in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. So any two countries that border each other in the history of the world, Canada and the U.S. have the longest peaceful relationship among any two countries or between any two countries. Right. So, 
you know, we, like I said, we live in a bubble though. We haven't had a war fought on our soil since again, 1865. And, you know, for this to happen to us on our own soil is surprising. Um, and again, it was a shock to everybody and we're still feeling the effects of it. Yeah. As, as the details unfolded, um, the, you know, for the days and months to come, uh, following, uh, the attacks and when, you know, which eventually led to the, uh, 20 year war that essentially just, you know, we just pulled out the last troops. Right. Um, I mean, this is what led to all of that. This, and this was the longest war in American history, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, yeah, it's the longest war in the sense that um, what you have to understand, too, like I tell my students that, you know, Congress has the power to declare war and not the president. And, you know, a lot of these conflicts aren't declared wars. I mean, we've only declared war five times, you know, Congress has. Yeah. You, you have the War of 1812. You have the, I think it's this, uh, I think um, it's the Mexican-American War, the Spanish Civil War. I'm sorry, the Spanish-American um, War when we went to war against Spain, and then you have both world wars, like Korea and Vietnam weren't declared wars by Congress. Mm. Like there were military actions or conflicts, right? Right, So this war on terror, there wasn't an actual declared war, but it's the longest war, if you will, or military engagement in history in the United States, but it wasn't against a certain country. It was just on terror, right? Right. So you have to make that distinction that, you know, we say, well, it's the longest war America ever fought. Well, one, it wasn't against a country. It's against, you know, an idea, right? Terror. Yeah, terrorism. Yeah. terrorism and it wasn't a declared war by congress anyway um so, so yeah, we how do you, finished. i i understand I, I i i can distinguish the the difference now or i can see the difference between the two um now the like you said you you it went from fear to anger for you the initial uh shift in your uh uh feelings and reaction <laughs> Um, but like you said, we hadn't had a uh, foreign attack on our soil since 1812, right? So the fact that this was able to be hidden or, or you know, and I, and I don't want to get into the conspiracy theories. I'm only looking at the facts. Um, but how would you describe uh their plan and how they were able to get away with it ultimately to be able to uh you know come to the point of 9-11 as it happened how long were they working on this plan uh if if you want to enlighten us on this well i mean, I, I know they were here for a year um the, the, ter- t- the 19 terrorists who um you know had uh, not only organized it but carried it out they were here for for at least a year well for about a year from what i've read right but i mean the reason why they were able to carry it out is just because our, our security agencies don't work well together they don't share information they don't communicate with each other yeah. and so i'm talking about like the cia fbi you know all the different yeah. agencies though um within the federal government they don't share information and they don't work together they keep information from each other that's one and so really though our american government failed the american people mm. um and that's the bottom line and our security has never been that great anyway 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not like on the same level as the British or the Israelis. Our security has always been rather weak. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at how easily, like the Soviets stole, you know, information about the atomic bomb, you know, and they were able uh-huh. then to detonate their own, create their own. Yeah. Um, you know, American intelligence hasn't been on the same level as other countries. It's always been far behind, in my opinion. Okay. Um, like I said, it's behind the Israelis and the British, obviously, and even the Soviets, now the Russians. But it, it, again, it, it was a failure on, on the part of the federal government to prevent this from happening. And it should have never happened. It should have been prevented. And you can see, though, the results afterwards, though, like Homeland Security, you know, yeah. was created, right? Right. A new cabinet, a new department was created, you know, from all of this. Yeah. Um, and there were measures put in place that forced the agencies to start to share information with each other and better communicate. But the reason why it happened was because our intelligence and our security, though, just failed us. Right. The bottom line. And unfortunately, 3,000 plus lives had to be lost in order for it to get stronger and, and for us. Yeah, to I actually think, what is it? Uh, is it 2,995 or something? Is that the exact number? Yeah, I, I, um, I'm giving a estimate based on my rough research on it. And obviously, you know, these uh, victims will never be forgotten. They're, uh, they're heroes. Uh, I stand this. corrected. It's, 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 well, it's 29. I'm looking it up. It's 2977, but 2996, including the, the terrorists themselves. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and, yeah. and I actually know the exact figure for uh, um, Pearl Harbor. It's 2,403. I have that number stuck wow, in my head. Wow. So there were more people who died though from the 9-11 attacks than the attacks at Pearl Harbor, 2403 to 2977. I don't want to include the terrorists who were. Who yes. Were right. They were, yeah, they were the perpetrators. Um, they and, were not... and... Go ahead. Oh, well, let's, and also let's make that clear. You have to understand too, that um, you know, they were terrorists who committed this act. They weren't representing a country. Yeah. And so like when I talk to students about this, right that America, you know, hasn't been attacked, you know, by a country since, you know, obviously, um, well, attacked on our mainland, you know, since the war of 1812, those terrorists weren't representing a country. Yeah. 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 And, and, and actually, you know, when Osama bin Laden was killed, I was in my first year teaching in Kuwait. I see. And, um, and I remember having this conversation with my Kuwaiti students, uh, you know, when Osama bin Laden was killed and then when he was buried at sea, they, you know, that day we got an email sent to all of us to be sensitive, you know, because I'm teaching at, as an, Islamic, at an Islamic school. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I remember my students, my Kuwaiti students asking me if I had a problem with the way that Osama bin Laden was buried. I said, I did not have any problem with that at all. And they were kind of like shocked. And I said, let me explain myself. And I said, one... I said they gave him a proper Islamic burial, even though it was at sea. But I said, what did they, they expect? You know, what did you expect them to do? Hand the body over where it could be a shrine for people to come and honor or be a martyr for other terrorists. Yeah. And I, then, then I added this, though. And I said, that's the thing, though. I told my students that Osama bin Laden is not Muslim. Because I knew Muslims, though, weren't responsible for 9-11. Now, all of my students are Muslim. Yes. And yes. I told him that Osama bin Laden, no, is not a Muslim. He was a terrorist. If he was a Muslim, then a Muslim would be, spon- would be responsible for 9-11. 
But I said to them, I know in Islam, they don't teach that. Yeah. So Osama bin Laden is not Muslim. He was a terrorist. So that's why I have no problem with what they did to him. Right. Burying him at sea like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you remind me of the exact uh, date of when they, they t uh, killed him? Or not it, the exact it, date, it, but the year. It, I, think, I think it will. Well, I mean, the, it was like April 2011. Um, I think it All was. Right. I believe you're right. It, up yeah. real quick. But it was in, it was in 2011. And I think it was in, um, oh, it was actually March. It was March 2011. I'm okay. sorry, no, May. I'm sorry, it was May. May. I'm looking at it right now. It's May 2nd, 2011. May 2nd, 2011. That's when, yeah, exactly. Okay, so. May 2nd, 2011. Man, so. Uh, Man, that's another unique experience to be teaching in a Muslim country while, uh, and, and they're not related. We're not saying that this is related. We're just, you know, but there are some confusions out there uh, about this. And we want to clarify that, you know, as you, as you uh, very adequately uh, me uh, mentioned, that Islam wasn't responsible, uh, a terrorist group was responsible and Osama being the leader of that. Uh, so to turn it on to a bit of a more, you know, positive light, 20 years has now passed. The security is much improved. Um, airport security, especially. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, before this event, you were able to literally check, take a handgun onto the flight and, and it was safe to do so. And, and they would allow you to, they could check it in and you could take, carry it on. And obviously now you can't even take a water bottle, right? It, it's, it's, uh, it's gone. Well, it, 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 it's more than that too. I mean, you know, I was born in 1967, and of course, I flew on planes in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and I was just watching this movie the other day, The Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage, right? Okay. And if you remember The Family Man starring Nicolas Cage, um, you know, at the beginning and even at the end of the movie, they showed Nicolas Cage with um, Tia Leon, um, the actress, and they're at the airport, and he actually... At the beginning of the movie, she walks him to his gate. At the end of the movie, he follows her to the gate, you know, and you can't do that anymore. Right. right? So, right. Airport, so it used to be that you could walk, though, the passenger, your family, your friends could walk you all the way up to the gate and yeah. see you off. Exactly. Um, I, and I, it doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I arrived in, uh, in the United States at Dulles Airport in Virginia in, uh, in uh, 1995. And all of our family that was already in America at the time, they met us right when we came out of the plane, like literally at the terminal. Right. 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 So that was, a, that doesn't happen anymore. And, and so this That's is another good point though. Like when you came out of the, out of the terminal, right out of the gate, you know, you're walking off the plane, you could be greeted by family and friends. That doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, my own personal opinion on on wars and and uh the the whole thing i feel that is uh i just feel like war doesn't ultimately solve the real issue right i think the real issue uh needs to be 
solved by communication and 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 uh elimination of greed and and power and and uh the 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 chasing of dominance over the rest of the world or another country even in this case um or another even a, a terrorist group uh um i think uh to really gain peace it 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 must come from some sort of peace some sort of purity um i mean to to button this whole thing up uh i just wanted to know like when you're teaching uh history now in in an american school in an american high school uh when you go over the events because mo- all these kids that you're teaching in high school weren't even born when it happened so what uh what kind of like usually what are what are some common questions you're getting about it or 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 opinions from the from the kids well to be honest i i you know I was talking about it with another teacher. He teaches right next to me. And he mentioned to me after school yesterday that he didn't bring up 9-11. And I actually didn't bring up 9-11 either. Oh. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't conscious. Um, I know it's the 20th anniversary, but I, I taught three government classes yesterday. And I just continued with the unit, which was the 14th Amendment. And um, he was teaching three government classes. And we both teach U.S. history classes as well, but on even days. But we didn't even bring up the the, the events of 9-11. Um, now, we have brought up, we do current events, we have brought up what's happening in Afghanistan and the withdrawal of American troops. Right. And I compare it to what happened in Vietnam when the U.S. withdrew. Um, but, I mean, if students ask questions and, you know, um, if I do bring it up, um, and I brought it up in the past about what happened at 9-11, and, you know, I... I've told students already this, though, when we've talked about what happened in Afghanistan and why the U.S. is leaving. We've had a long conversation about this with my students, um, you know, and I showed them pictures of that cargo airplane filled with 640 people or whatever it was. Um, and I showed them the video, yeah. video footage of people trying to, you know, get on a plane to get the hell out of there. Yeah, it's sad. Flight. Yeah. It is sad. You know, first of all, I have no problem at all with going after the people responsible for 9-11. I just don't. Yeah. I have no problem with the U.S. going into Afghanistan initially and taking out the Taliban because they're harboring those terrorists who were responsible for 9-11. Right. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with us staying there and forcing Jeffersonian democracy down a people's throat that that's never had it. And that's a problem. And that's what I think the U.S. doesn't understand. And I've talked to my students about that. You know, we feel that democracy is the best way. And that may be true, but it has to be organic. It has to come naturally, organically. From within. From, from within. within the people. You can't yeah. force feed it down somebody's throat. Yeah. And they've never had it in that region. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're seeing the effects of that e- even in Eastern Europe, though. I'm reading this book right now, The Light That Failed, and how democracy has failed in Eastern Europe in countries like Poland and Hungary. Yeah. And, you know, after the Velvet Revolution of 1989... And when, you know, communism fell in Eastern Europe and even in the Soviet Union, when the, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, you could see that it's really not working like we thought it would. Yeah. Democracy, I mean, and like I said, you know, in the Middle East, you know, they've never had true democracy where the people rule. Yeah. And so you, you couldn't expect the U.S. to just go in there and, again, 
have people accept it readily and freely with open arms because that's not going to happen. I mean, you can argue that democracy within the United States has taken over 200 years to get to the point that it has. And it's still, there are certain flaws within the system that are, we're, we're constantly dealing with and having to work through. Well, 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 absolutely, though, because obviously democracy includes equality. And obviously equality is one of those things um, that is not um, available to everybody in, in yeah. our country, right? Um, yeah. When we talk about the 14th Amendment, like I just did this yesterday, we talked about the history of the 14th Amendment and how it includes the due process clause, but also the equal protection clause. And we, you know, I, I taught my students yesterday that there were a number of Supreme Court decisions after 1868 when the 14th Amendment was ratified that ripped the guts of the 14th Amendment. And I tell my students that, you know, the three branches of government need to work together. If they don't work together, then you have then inequality and you have then um, you have civil rights being violated. And again, I, I explained that civil liberties and civil rights are two different things. Yeah. Um, but what my point is that like when Congress passes an act or a law, the Supreme Court interprets and judges that act or law, but they also interpret amendments to the constitution. And so the Supreme Court in different decisions, like in 1876 and then in 1883, different decisions by the, by the Supreme Court overturned acts passed by Congress that were granting protections to African-Americans, but also those decisions then interpreted the 14th Amendment in a way that didn't protect African-Americans. Yeah. Also um, allowed the South to uphold those Jim Crow laws where it was separate but equal, yeah. you know, which, which was later on declared inherently unequal. But, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896 is, is the one that brought the hammer down yeah. and um, legalized segregation in the South. Uh, but, you know, my, my point is that when we talk about democracy not working in other countries, and like you said, it's not working here, you know, it doesn't always work here. Yeah. The U.S., like I tell my students, is a combination of different political systems. We're a democracy, we're a republic, we're a federalist system, but we're also a socialist system. We have elements of socialism. Yeah. And so we're not just one political system, republic, democracy, federalist, and socialist. And that's what makes this work. Now, as far as democracy goes, uh, on a different tangent, next week's the recall election. And yeah. that's a perfect example I've told my students of democracy yeah. is the recall, yeah. which is we, the people have the ability to remove, remove an elected official. And next yeah. week, on September 14th, the citizens of California will vote to either remove recall Gavin Newsom or not. And so yeah. that's a perfect example of democracy though. So it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't work, but. But I believe that, uh, I think the system, like you said, the, you know, the U S isn't just a democracy. It's, it's multiple different governments working together. And even then it's still, there's still issues like we, we, we mentioned, Um, so, you know, for Afghanistan or, you know, other countries in the Middle East for this to be just dropped on them and, and expecting it to just switch overnight, it takes time. It well, took, yeah, it takes time there. It's, it's taking time here. 
and and it's a it's a culture change it it's uh, it, it needs to be a much more sensitive approach i think and, and um that in my opinion could be why uh the exit from afghanistan feels like it was kind of a in my opinion a, a bit of a failure the way it, it happened well it was a failure because um well first of all like this this agreement was signed under trump but there should have been a better evacuation plan and, right. and it looked like it was just disorganized they underestimated um you know the taliban and how fast they would re regain control of the government but biden though is to blame for that failure to have a an effective exit plan yeah i mean yeah. i don't know why they couldn't have an effective exit plan because they knew this was coming so right? they were aware and they it seems like they didn't they didn't let that stop them in a sense they didn't do a very good job they should have waited until you know they had um you know the measures in place and um you know like i said just a better plan to yeah. evacuate not only american personnel but also all the afghanis who assisted the americans while we were there yeah but i do agree with your point about democracy though you know it's taken how long for the united states you know to live up to its democratic principles right. it's, still, it's still a work in progress yeah and, and you, know, you can't expect you know some country then that's never had it and that was it was forced upon you know yeah. to, to happen even over 20 years it's not going to happen it's not yeah it's gonna it, it takes time and i i always say um on my social media uh posts it, there's a uh belief i have and it's actually part of the open of this podcast and is one of the main reasons i wanted to start this podcast was purifying the mind and purifying the world that we live in and keyword being the world and the mind right but it starts with one person and and that takes an open mindedness to learning to uh to be inclusive with any everybody and and thinking about others as much or even first before thinking about oneself and and um and i view that as as a much more effective way to move forward um for the future of not just the united states but humanity and and the world as a whole well let me ask you a question go for it so i mean in light of what's happened um you know, in Afghanistan and everything that we've been talking about, do you think the United States as a world power has a responsibility to get involved in world affairs? Or do you think the United States should mind its own business and go back to being isolationist? And the United States was isolationist. And what a lot of people don't understand, and I tell my students this, obviously, when we study these things, you know, World War One started in 1914. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With the assassination of the Archduke. The United States did not enter the war until April of 1917, World War One. Yeah. World War II started September 1st, 1939. The United States did not enter the war until it was attacked by the Japanese December 7th, 1941. Mm -hmm. And the first troops didn't arrive to, in Europe until like February 1942, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and after World War One, the United States went back to being isolationist, by the way. They didn't even join the League of Nations, which was created by Woodrow Wilson. Congress wow. didn't approve the treaty the the treaty of versailles congress didn't approve it so we never joined the league of nations we went back to being isolationists yeah um i mean we isolationists though is one of those you know weird terms because we were involved 
in affairs in the Western Hemisphere, just not in the Eastern Hemisphere and in Europe. But we were still involved, though, like in Latin America and South America during that time. But we weren't actively involved in world affairs as far as, you know, Eastern, other continents yeah well the eastern hemisphere goes yeah and we didn't join the league of nations after world war one yeah yeah so yeah. you know does the united states though have a responsibility or should it just mind its own business I, about being isolationist i think every united states is in a privileged uh situation when it comes to the power that it has right um it, it is it, there's a reason so many people from all around the world uh, have chosen for years, uh, decades, and even you could say centuries to leave their motherland and, and come here. Right. Um, it's the melting pot, you know, the, 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 all the, the nicknames for this uh, nation, and it can be a beautiful nation for that. Right. It can be. Um However, I believe that in order um, to answer your question first, I think it, it should be involved in world affairs. Uh, but I think there's a much better way to do it than than um, and and the motive. I believe the motive has to be pure. If the motive is to do what the name of the country says, unite, right? It it should actually have that be its forefront and motive. And I think on uh, depending on who's running the country, which again, the people are voting for um, it's it, it can happen quickly, quicker, or it can happen slower. So my, what I'm ultimately saying is that I think all countries have a responsibility because if we look at history, go back far enough, countries weren't, you know, always a thing. It became a thing over time, right? Lines were drawn, borders were drawn. And, and that's the point. It was a human made thing, ultimately. So in order for this planet, and I always like to think as a planet and not as countries, because we are all part of it, and we're all responsible for where it's headed. Um, I think the, the, the best way to be involved in world affairs is with the motive of uniting and, and, and thinking about how to make this whole Pangea, right. Be, be what it was and, and actually work together. Not saying that we need to lift the lines between the countries. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be. Uh, isolationist it doesn't also have to be what just happened for 20 years right is it, it, it it's it, there's some the motive is was not pure enough i don't think and that's probably why it didn't ultimately work well i think the motives have to be more humanitarian and, and yeah. less about money but you know money makes the world go around you know it's not but that's also a human-made thing right i know i know it's i mean we can go on and on about <laughs> about that as well but I think ultimately, yes, you're right. The human humanitarian approach is the, and I think we're going that way because these these are all these mistakes that we're we're going to ultimately learn from, and it's filtering out all the uh, like it, it's 
it's purifying, right? We're purifying by, unfortunately, lives have been lost, right? Um, good people have, have, have lost their lives. Um, and we're, we're learning with every uh, soldier that unfortunately uh, was taken away. And, and I'm not even, I'm going to even blow this up to a uh, global view live innocent lives in in afghanistan and in, in in iraq in all type parts of the world are being lost because the people in charge are motivated by like you said the money side of things as opposed to the humanitarian side of things now there are a couple of countries in the world that think about the human aspect more um and and they're you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like countries like Finland um, uh, or or Norway, uh, just in a lot of these issues that U.S. and other countries are struggling with, they seem not to be. Uh, they seem to be like education, for example. I feel like Norway is is, if I'm not mistaken, they're one of the top educational uh, nations as far as uh, you know, uh, how the I don't even know the right term for that, but it, you know the uh, the the studies like the the students are are much more involved in school or or you know grades are on average better uh, in countries like that. So I think those countries is a starting point. Let's talk to those nations. What are they doing? Right? Let's put our egos aside as as nations as as leaders of nations, and and see okay. What can we really do to improve uh, the issues? Because war ultimately is begets war, in my opinion. It, it ultimately doesn't lead to peace. There are peace treaties that are signed, but you know. well, that, that's another question entirely. Though, is there is war ever justified? Is there such a thing as a good war? You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that it's a deep topic, and and we can probably spend hours talking about it. Um, but you know, the focus to, and, and I would love you to come back on and, and we can discuss these other subtopics that have, um, came up, uh, from the initial nine 11 discussion. Um, but to bring it back, you know, um, I read a quote, uh, regarding nine 11 and it, it said this and it, it, and I may, and I'm paraphrasing, but it said, uh, a lot of lives were lost for us to learn to unite, right? And 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 I think that means a lot. I think that uh, says a lot just in those few words. And 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 then I think it ended it with saying, "Next time, let's not let the lives be lost before we learn to unite." So, you know, it was. Uh, and I believe that I, I agree with that. So I think the people, and I think the fact that social media is getting so strong it's letting the people communicate and the, that that's what i said in the beginning of this episode i said communication is what was missing right um and and assumptions are made or or even or or things are ignored for the chase of that money well unfortunately and, and like you said if events like 9-11 always bring people together yeah. and usually bring out the good in people yeah um but you know, as you've seen from last year, though, our country is still divided um, and sure. we've always been divided. And that's because 
what makes this country great also divides it divides us and that's our our, our diversity that's right um, because we're such a diverse country yep. we're going to have these issues mm-hmm. and um you know the, the issues um that separate us as far as racial inequality you know uh social and civil unrest yep. um you know and, and and again just you know it all it's all because though of um you know our particular um nation and the founding fathers that didn't address certain issues in the constitution you know yeah it's not a perfect system right we're not we're not no. pretending that it is but uh it's gotten it's it's getting better i think it's start getting better and purifying the the further we get into this nation's uh age and uh as the years are passing now um we're still w- ways away from where we want to be but i think you know one day at a time uh you know we learn we uh, we stay humble as a nation and as a world as a as a planet and and i think that is ultimately like you said the humanitarian way to to is the best way to approach this but uh hey david thank you so much for uh spending um your evening with me on on this uh memorial day um and uh we we will always celebrate uh the heroes um that you know fought from the firefighters side and and all the medical sides and 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 the people that were inside these the twin towers and the pentagon and and many good, uh, many good people were lost all of the first responders who died you know sacrificed their lives yeah to do, they, to do their job exactly and they they will never be forgotten they will never be forgotten so um david i appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience uh about this special day and um and i will uh want you back on to discuss many other topics from the historical aspect and i know we both love sports so we we we, we can talk next time maybe yeah yeah hey much lighter topic absolutely this has been episode 28 of fumble podcast with david gray um we discussed 9-11 um make sure to subscribe to fumble podcast on youtube uh instagram twitter tiktok uh and i will catch you guys on the next one thanks for having me Thank you.